Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the thing about the intersection of alcohol and drugs and sexual assault. The whole thing is rigged to prevent women from coming forward. Everything relies on the Supreme Court, which makes it entirely rational to say, I would rather have an axe murderer who's going to vote my way than have a Boy Scout who's going to vote against me. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan, and those were the voices of my Intercept colleagues, Ryan Grimm and Naomi Klein. They're my guests today as we discuss what's become the biggest story in the United States right now, the Supreme Court confirmation hearings of Republican Judge Brett Kavanaugh and the growing number of sexual assault allegations against him. It's a story with a new twist and turn almost every day. Just hours before we came into this recording studio, we learned of a third woman, Julie Swetnick, who has signed a sworn affidavit accusing Kavanaugh of sexually aggressive behaviour at alcohol-fueled parties when he was in high school, and who basically has just stopped short of calling him a rapist. Swetnick alleges, I also witnessed efforts by Mark Judge, Brett Kavanaugh and others to cause girls to become inebriated and disoriented so they could be gang raped in a side room or a bedroom by trains of numerous boys. Before I get into all that, I do want to say something about the Supreme Court as a whole, as someone who hasn't lived here all my life. I'm a Brit. I'm an immigrant to your great country. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of weird things about living in the US. A lot of things I find very weird about living and working here. Turning right at a red light, I find that very odd. It's been hard to get used to that. We don't do that in the UK. Uh, The sheer uh, number of breakfast cereals that are on offer in the grocery store is something that still kind of uh, befuddles me. Um, And then, of course, there's your gun culture. Really, really weird. Open carry laws in Virginia, where I live, haven't been able to get past that. But one of the really weird institutions in this country is the United States Supreme Court, which is so uh, odd and such an aberration when it comes to Supreme Courts around the world. I'm sorry to have to break this to you in case you're unaware of this, but most other Western liberal democracies don't have Supreme Courts like the United States Supreme Court. They don't have courts that are as powerful as the US Supreme Court, where justice is appointed for life and they're appointed in a partisan and politicized way. And then when they're on the court, they rule not in a disinterested or impartial way, but in a nakedly partisan or politicized way. So you're able to say, oh, the five conservatives or the four liberals on the court. That's weird. Other Supreme Courts don't operate like that in France, in Canada, in the United Kingdom, where I'm from. So when I look at your Supreme Court as a whole, this ridiculously powerful, Uh, institution. Personally, I'd scrap the whole thing and start again. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked certainly since 2000, uh, when they basically stole an election for the Republican Party, how we forget about that. Look, if I was the Democrats, as at least a fix, I'd consider adding justices, not just blocking Kavanaugh or whoever they bring maybe to replace Kavanaugh. But if the Democrats take control of the House and the Senate and the presidency, 
I'd just add justices to the court to balance out the conservative bias. Now, you might say, well, that's court packing. That's illegitimate. Not true. It's not illegitimate. You can change the numbers on the Supreme Court. And you know what? The Republicans have already packed the court. They stole a Supreme Court seat from Barack Obama. Remember Merrick Garland? Remember a guy called Neil Gorsuch who now sits on the Supreme Court? That is court packing. So personally, and we're going to talk about it in the discussion today, what can the Democrats do to take a slightly stronger line when it comes to pushing back against the Republican trampling of judicial, constitutional, political norms. But let's talk specifically about the man of the moment, Brett Kavanaugh, fresh from a Fox News chat in which he denied all the allegations against him, presented himself as a bit of a choir boy, not to mention a virgin right into university, as if that's a defense against sexual assault. Look, the man is a liar. He's a liar. He's lied about his knowledge of torture and surveillance while working in the Bush White House. He's lied about what he did with uh, stolen Democratic Party memos. He's lied about his position on abortion on Roe versus Wade. In fact, he lied the very first time he was unveiled to the nation by President Trump at the White House on July the 9th. No president has ever consulted more widely or talked with more people from more backgrounds to seek input about a Supreme Court nomination. Um, that's a barefaced lie, obviously. So given all his history of lying, why shouldn't we believe these three named women, three women who have come forward with such serious accusations against him? There's Christine Ford. I thought he might inadvertently kill me. He was trying to attack me and remove my clothing. There's Deborah Ramirez. I can still see his face, his hips coming forward like when you pull up your pants. And someone yelled down the hall, quote, Brett Kavanaugh just put his penis in Debbie's face. And then there's Julie Swetnick, whose story emerged today. In approximately 1982, I became the victim of one of these gang or train rapes where Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh were present. Yeah train rape. That's the latest accusation against the man that the Republican Party wants to put on the Supreme Court of the United States for life. For life. In fact, by the time this show airs, you know what? Kavanaugh's name might already have been withdrawn from the process. The Republicans have backed him till now and not given a shit about the seriousness of these allegations, preferring to conspiratorially blame the Democrats or to smear the women who have come forward. But this is now, forgive me, a train wreck. This is a complete catastrophe for the Republicans, not just in terms of the electoral impact of being so anti-women and so pro-sexual assault, but also in terms of the process and what the Democrats are willing to do to try and stop them. Remember, there was a time when we were told that Brett Kavanaugh would be a shoo-in. Not so much now. The thing is, the Republicans aren't going to give up so easily. They want to control the Supreme Court. They've already stolen one seat and they're not going to give up this one. So where do we go from here? And what can the Democrats do to fight back on an issue of such importance? As I say, this isn't just about Brett Kavanaugh or sexual assault, important though that story is. This is about the future of the United States, about economic equality, racial equality, social justice, all of which will be severely undermined, severely challenged by a conservative-dominated Supreme Court locked in for 40 or 50 years by a president who didn't win the popular vote and who has also, by the way, been credibly accused of sexual assault. 
I'm joined now in the studio by Ryan Grimm, DC Bureau Chief for The Intercept. He broke the story on September the 12th, headlined Diane Feinstein withholding Brett Kavanaugh document from fellow Judiciary Committee Democrats, which burst open the door to all of these allegations against Kavanaugh that we have today, starting with Christine Ford. And from Rutgers University, where she's the new Gloria Steinem endowed chair in media, culture and feminist studies, the best-selling author and senior correspondent for The Intercept, Naomi Klein. Ryan, Naomi, thanks both for taking time out for Deconstructed. Yeah. Great to be with you. Ryan, you... Tell us about the story that you broke open, that kicked open this whole Brett Kavanaugh is a sexual assaulter chain of events that has led us to this point now where three different named women have accused him of all sorts of grotesque things. Right. And so it starts in July when Christine Blasey Ford begins telling her friends that she's been thinking hard about uh, a, a huge decision and that she was going to come forward and tell her story about being sexually assaulted by by Brett Kavanaugh. At, th- at that time, she wrote to her member of Congress, Anna Eshoo. A few weeks later, she also wrote to Dianne Feinstein. Uh, Ronan Farrow and Jane Mayer reported that, that Feinstein thought that the allegations were too old to make a difference. It was dated back to high school. And also that she wanted to have the fight over Kavanaugh to be a legal one rather than a quote-unquote personal one. And as she saw Kavanaugh's confirmation sailing through, she felt like, what's the point of, you know, destroying my own life Hmm. when it looks like they're just going to confirm this guy anyway? So after the hearing is completed, they've gone back and forth. That Friday, the rumors start bubbling up a little bit more on the Hill. Over the weekend, it starts to become what's known as Hill public, you know, that, that people are just whispering to each other, there's this, there's this allegation out there. Uh, and you were hearing these whispers. I, I heard about it Monday morning. And as I, as I called around more, I was able to narrow it down to, okay, now Dianne Feinstein has, has a letter that, that contains some allegations and is not sharing it with members of the Judiciary Committee. Without knowing what the allega- precisely what the allegations were, because I heard several different versions from, from the one that did come out to uh, much more mundane, mm. I was able to report the story that Democrats on the Judiciary Committee requested access to this letter, private access, so they could review it and make their own judgment over whether it should be pursued either by the FBI or by their own staff, or, or that they should they do could you, reach out to the victim. Do you believe that if you hadn't broken this story, that Feinstein would have sat on it and we would never have heard of Christine Blasey Ford? So I, I've, I've wondered that, because the, the answer to that question then is, well, would another news outlet eventually have gotten to it? And I haven't had any reporters come up to me yet and say, you know, I was just about to break that story. A lot of reporters were chasing the allegations themselves, mm. like the idea, like they knew that there were allegations out there. What did Brett? But Kavanaugh not a specific do? person and a specific letter. And I th- and R- Farrow uh, appears to have spoken to her in July, and and then at some point she decided she didn't want to go on the record. And so when reporters couldn't confirm the underlying allegations, they 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 didn't report the story of the letter. Which is so interesting because, of course, the Republican narrative of, of the Senate Judiciary Committee members is, this is all a Democratic plot to bring down our golden boy. These are last-minute allegations late in the day. And yet, as your reporting shows, A, the politicians, the Democrats, were not trying to push her out into the open. Feinstein was possibly sitting on this. 
and journalists, as usual, investigative reporters were doing scrupulous, scrup- I can't say the word scrupulous, reporting and finding, you know, not just throwing these women out there and saying, hey, we found someone who may or may not have been assaulted. Right. And I, I think uh, Feinstein did not have plans to to release this. I do want to come back to Feinstein, the Democrats' role in all this in a moment. Just bringing in Naomi, um, what do you make of all this craziness that you have witnessed over the past couple of weeks? Well, I mean, every every woman I talk to is in, you know, a slightly um, just dazed state because a, a lot of this... I don't know any women for whom this doesn't bring up some kind of memories of of behavior um, in high school and university. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting that's going on now is the willingness of women to come forward without, you know, a perfect memory. And this is the thing about the intersection of alcohol and drugs and sexual assault is that, it, you know, it's the whole thing is rigged to prevent women from coming forward um, because we we have been told that, you know, if, if, if there are any holes in our memory, then we're completely uncredible, you know, witnesses. And so I think it's been interesting to see these women come forward in this incredibly high stakes arena and admit to the holes in their memory, admit to their own feelings of shame. You know, I think the most important thing is that we're that we have these precedents in such a high stakes arena for women coming forward who are not this sort of perfect victim, but still saying that doesn't justify being sexually assaulted. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important. And I, I, the other thing I think is is just kind of amazing watching Kavanaugh in all of this is he, you know, he seems sort of genuinely surprised that the people he has encountered through his, um, you know, climb uh, to to these heights of power um, continue to exist as human beings, um, <laughs> despite his having, you know, no longer having any use for them. Um, and uh, I mean, he seems to be. He seems to be a genuinely shitty person, and I've thought that from before the sexual assault allegations when he wouldn't shake the hand of that father of the Parkland victim, uh, which seemed to me to be a pretty shitty thing to do. Well, he's an absolute al- hack. I mean, I think yeah. Ryan can speak on this better than me, but, I mean, he he is just the essence of a, of, of, of a partisan hack who will take diametrically opposite legal positions depending on whether there's a Republican or a Democrat in power, right? Um, which, makes so- him a, which makes him a perfect Republican nominee. Exactly. Just before we get, I do want to talk about the Republicans and the, and the amorality and hypocrisy of all this, but just sticking what you mentioned about the women coming forward, do you think that Brett Kavanaugh's uh, nomination would be on the line. And by the time this show comes out, maybe his nomination is already withdrawn. Who knows, at this rate, the way events are moving. Do you think this his, his, his job, his nomination would be on the line were it not for the Me Too movement, the Me Too phenomenon, and what it's achieved in recent years? It isn't only about Me Too. It's also about Anita Hill. I mean, it goes back much yep. further than that. Um, you know, Me Too is is the latest chapter in a very long story of women yep. coming forward and challenging um, these norms and saying this is not normal. Um, look, it's it's a little bit hard to, to say because this story is not over. As you say, he may withdraw his nomination, Um but the other the other thing that may happen is these women may get destroyed on the stand. So we don't know what's going to happen. Um, Ryan, just very quickly on the on the technical side of this, if his nomination is withdrawn this week, 
and we're speaking on Wednesday afternoon, if it's withdrawn, can the Republicans jam through someone else before the midterms or even in the lame duck period before January? They, they certainly could. I mean, just from a technical, legal, kind of parliamentary perspective, they could. And if they can, then I think you, you have to believe that Mitch McConnell is going to do everything uh, you know, that he can to get that done, which at this point would require uh, going directly to uh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and saying, here are the here are the people we'd like to nominate. These Republican I mean, senators who pretend to be dissidents, but aren't right. really. Tell, tell, us, tell us which of these you're going to vote for. Would it be a woman? Surely it has to be a woman, Ryan. It has yeah, to be a Republican. Trump, Can they find a Republican woman? To- Trump, Trump wants somebody from central casting. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. He always talks about yeah. how he wants somebody from central casting. In his mind, there are no women in central casting when it comes to the Supreme Court. Amy Barrett, who everybody floats as the person that they suspect will be thrown in for all of the obvious reasons that you and, you and I and Naomi would understand, uh, is not somebody who's liked by Trump. He's, she's, she was not nice to him. She didn't flatter him in, in their meeting. She's uh, a reserved kind of But she person. would be the logical choice. I don't know very much about her, but... Yes and no. She is... She's a logical choice because you won't have to immediately go and look for a high school yearbook for her yes. to get dirt on her, however, which you would for any other male however, appointee, I'm However, right a, a, Trump doesn't like her. B, she's much more stridently anti-Roe, and it would Right, make... so, so then you don't get Collins, right? Exactly. So, uh, interestingly, I'm just turning the issue to the Republicans and how they've handled it, and they've... I mean, there's a lot of talk about have they harmed themselves with suburban women voters, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure I buy into all that, to be honest. I mean, a majority of white women sadly voted for Trump at the last election, despite uh, the tape. But but their numbers are crashing in the That is true. So let's hope it helps. But there is a bigger point here about the Republicans for me, which is that whether or not they believe the women, and you hear Orrin Hatch, you know, smearing uh, Deborah Ramirez, who's the second woman from the New Yorker. And I hear them smearing these women, and I think, I don't even know if they do or don't believe the women, but the point is they don't seem to care because fundamentally for them, that's not what the Supreme Court is about. It's not about getting an honourable person on the court. It's not even about protecting your school friends. It's about keeping that conservative majority before the Democrats get in. They stole the seat from Obama for Gorsuch and now they don't want to let this seat go because this is their moment to change the United States for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. It's a momentous lifetime appointment. I mean, I find that bizarre as well. I'm from a country that doesn't have lifetime appointments on the Supreme Court, nor is Naomi. Most Western democracies don't have this bizarre Supreme Court system, Ryan, that you do, where you put someone on, that's it. They're virtually untouchable. Which makes it entirely rational to say, I would rather have an axe murderer who's going to vote my way. For 40 years. Than than have a Boy Scout who's going to vote against me. So everything relies on the Supreme Court. And so everything gets thrown out for the utility of it. 
Naomi, you're famous for writing about how the right has ruthlessly exploited crises and disasters to push its economic and social agendas. Do you see a bit of that phenomenon playing out right now with this Supreme Court nomination? Because it's all about just cementing that majority by any means necessary. Well, in the sense that Trump is just a rolling disaster, I suppose. Um, no, I mean, I, th- I think this is just exactly what you said, Mindy, which is that they would rather risk the credibility of the entire court in front of the entire world than run the risk of losing this one seat. Um, and they wouldn't even necessarily lose that one seat, but they, you know, they are, are, are the stakes are that high. Um, yeah, I, I think they probably will ditch him. Um, and I think it is worth remembering the stake, that the stakes are not, they are about women's right to control our bodies. Um, it's also about the fact that this is an incredibly pro-corporate court. Um, and the stakes here, I think, have to do with protecting a plutocracy more than anything else. I, I, I think you're spot on there. I just want to just want to read out a line from a recent New York Magazine piece by Eric Levitz, where he points out that over the past decade, the Supreme Court's conservative majority has cleared the way for unlimited corporate spending in American elections, vetoed laws aimed at limiting the influence of such spending, gutted the Voting Rights Act, immunized prosecutors who hold withhold evidence from legal accountability, restricted the capacity of consumers and workers to sue corporations, hobbled public sector unions, and came within a single vote of vetoing the most significant expansion of the American welfare state, Obamacare. Uh, on a flimsy pretense. So, yes, this is about ideology, isn't it, right? This is not just about, as, as important as the issues of sexual assault and character and holding men accountable are, this is also about the big picture of this is another, uh, another step in the Republican parties and the corporate takeover of the United States public space. Yes, and the Federalist Society ideology is such a, a, a manufactured, unnatural way of viewing the world. This is the right-wing legal group that right. nominates a lot, that suggests these names right. to Donald Trump. That you have to produce it in this kind of platonic commune where you've got these prep school kids that are swaddled with this ideology from birth. You know, <laughs> Kavanaugh's mother was, is a you know, top Republican in the Reagan administration. You can't go out to Oklahoma and find people who just naturally you know, stumble upon a Federalist Society ideology. You can so, find same with Gorsuch, wh- by the way, right? His, precisely, his also precisely. Right. That's why they. That's why they can only go to this this prep school world. Because Gorsuch also, by the way, Georgetown, Georgetown prep, Georgetown prep, like and Brett Ro- Kavanaugh, Roberts. I don't know exactly which one, but you know that that milieu. Yeah. But you so and that's that's Barrett's problem too. Like she's from Indiana or something like that. You know, so she's you. You can be a wacko right winger. But you won't you won't have the precise aristocratic element of it that is needed to to produce the full Federalist Society ideology. And given you have this powerful ideology, you have these powerful interests, we know what we're up against. What I find so frustrating, and I want to ask both of you about this, is what does the left, if you can call the Democrats the left, or the opposition to the Republicans, the Democrats, what do they do when confronted with these odds, with these obstacles, with Republicans like Grassley and Hatch who are willing to, and McConnell who are willing to trample on any norm to get their people in power, to get ahead. Do you, I often use this phrase, I know a lot of other people do, the Democrats bring a knife to a gunfight, the Republicans bring a rocket launcher. Is that fair, Naomi? Well, I mean, coming back to where we started this conversation and the fact that it was a powerful Democrat that was sitting on this information, right? Um, but thankfully, the 
opposition to these forces isn't only elected Democrats. It's also social movements that have been in the streets. And I don't think they, you know, I I think they're, they're here to fight. We're here to fight. That's such an important point because I, I seem to remember we have such short memories nowadays we can't keep track because the news changes every day. When Kavanaugh was nominated or when when Kennedy said he was standing down, we were told that this was a shoe in for the Republicans. This was a there's nothing the Democrats can do. This guy's going to breeze through. You might as well pick a fight somewhere else and use your energy elsewhere, Ryan. And that was- right. And and Democratic leaders in the Senate were t- were telling activists to, s- to stand down, stop <laughs> making us look bad. We're, we're powerless to stop this. Why are, why are you hurting us in the midterms? And they did not stand down. To Naomi's point, the the movement Thank continued. God. There were uh, m- many more arrests just this week. Uh, and there will be more arrests but coming. But the powerlessness, Ryan, is self-inflicted. That's what's so painful. Okay, okay, you don't have a majority. Fine. That's an election issue, which we can get into the reasons why you lose elections all the time. But just even when you... So, for example, you're on the verge of power now. Dick Durbin, one of the most... Supposedly one of the most progressive senators on the Judiciary Committee, is saying on Sunday that, you know what? We were mistaken in 2013 to get rid of the filibuster for lower-level Democratic... for judge appointments. And... We'll bring back the filibuster as a show of good faith when we're in control, which is madness because the Republicans don't give a shit whether the Democrats follow the rules. They're going to do whatever they want regardless. And not just that. Democrats have been uh, saying publicly that they are actually afraid of winning this fight. Their biggest fear was (laughs) that Kavanaugh would be voted down. Democrats would win. That's called a win. And it would anger the Tea Party Republican base, who would then come out in the midterms and vote against their people like Heidkamp and Tester wow. and Donnelly. And so this is unilateral disarmament. So they, they, they literally were afraid of winning. The Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee have today written to Trump saying, you need to withdraw Kavanaugh now. And some of them right. have and done a, a lot of good work. Imagine, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Richard Blumenthal made a lot of noise. Imagine that, though. Imagine where we are and what it took yes, for them true. to say this man should be that's withdrawn. True. We're two weeks in two weeks Except from the third yeah. woman with the uh, Julie Swetnick, I think. Right. And they had they had this like they said, they had this information in July and it took not just not the not just the slut shaming of Renata Schroeder, not just Christine Blasey Ford, not just Ramirez, it took the gang rape allegation. Now that we've learned of that today, we've learned of today to f- for for people finally to say. Now there were, I believe, four: Merkley, Gillibrand, Markey, and Hirono had already before today called for him to be withdrawn. But now the full party is coming forward and finally saying it's time to withdraw and if them. They, and if they win this now, just to take Ryan's idea of being afraid of winning, Naomi, if they do win this in some shape or form, does that then embolden the social movements that you talked about? Does that then put some? Does that then put a spine? In, in some of the spineless backs of some of the Democrat leadership? Well, I, I, I think it will have an impact, and I think it'll embolden social movements, and I think it will encourage more activists to run for office because we're seeing, you know, we're seeing many more examples of that, and Ryan's been covering this so closely. Uh, you know, it, it, there isn't as neat a split as there used to be between grassroots social movements in the streets and the people willing to stand for office and primary powerful Democrats. Ryan, my own view, and I plan to write about this soon, and it's an unpopular view amongst some liberals, is that the Democrats not only need to fight much more, uh, if the word is dirty, I don't know if you want to use, but, you know, much with much less concern for norms at a time when the other side doesn't give a shit about norms. But, for example, on the Supreme Court, if the Democrats win the Senate and the House, if they win the presidency, should they change the Supreme Court radically? Should they add an 
more justices. Right. Take it to 11 in order to balance out this. But people say, oh, you can't pack the courts because that sets a bad precedent. The Republicans will do it too. The Republicans are already doing it. They stole a Supreme Court seat. Right. And, and, to, and to, your, to your point, by the way, I do have so, some news on that and this is related to what Naomi was saying. I interviewed Adi Barkan, an activist who led a lot of these yes. protests and, and also who raised a million and a half dollars to pressure Collins to vote no. Uh, he told me his next step in this is to, is to pressure Schumer. And raise money in the same way that if Schumer doesn't stand up to the next uh, Supreme Court nominee in a way that's considered sufficient, then they're going to run a primary against Schumer. Uh, to, to your question about uh, the Supreme Court, one way of thinking about it would be this. Uh, Democrats don't have the votes to impeach Clarence Thomas, who perjured himself uh, through his confirmation process, setting aside uh, the, the rest the of everything else. Yeah. Uh so what they could say is, okay, we're going to add two justices to the court. We can do that with a, with a simple majority. You don't need a two-thirds majority. Mm. You need two-thirds to impeach. Yeah, it's not a magic number, nine. People think, or, think nine is so, a magic number. And they could say, hey, look, if, if, Clarence, if Clarence Thomas will not resign, we're going to add two justices to the court to balance out the one who's illegitimately there. Yeah. Uh, and then if he resigns, then they can withdraw the bill. So they have their power moves that they could play. And maybe they're finding, and maybe they'll find out that winning isn't so bad. <laughs> I hope so. Naomi, let me ask you this before we have to wrap up. I mean, when you look at U.S. democracy right now, you've just moved here. I moved here a few years ago. We've both been writing about the United States for many, many years and democracy in the U.S. When you look at the Supreme Court, which is a weird institution in the whole U.S. constitutional setup with the lifetime appointments, etc., and the power it has of striking down laws, you look at a Supreme Court now where if Kavanaugh is confirmed or a Kavanaugh replacement is confirmed, you will have four Supreme Court justices out of nine who were appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote. Yeah. If Kavanaugh is appointed, you'll have two of the nine justices are accused of sexual assault. Right. I mean, when we talk about crisis of democracy and legitimacy of institutions and the rise of populism, surely the Supreme Court and the way it's been politicized has to be somewhere near the top of that list. Absolutely. And it's all in- interconnected. As you say, it's connected with the fact that this isn't an actual democracy by most countries' definition. Exactly. And so, you know, you, you, I, I, and one thing that does give me hope is that and more than at any point that I've been watching U.S. politics, there is a, an interest and a fervor, really, for exposing the, the rigged nature of the system, right, from the electoral college to the superdelegates to gerrymandering uh, to what is happening on the Supreme Court right now, um, and many more examples, right, in, in, including you know, the financial dark money and so on. Um, so I think the more we have a progressive movement that is focused on systems, broken systems, and how to fix them, as opposed to... Uh, just you know, individuals who we happen to you know <laughs> loathe everything about them. Uh, the more you know, the stronger position I think we're in. No, I completely agree with you, and I'm I'm, I'm personally hoping. But the silver lining of this, you know, we've been waiting for that. What's that Newtonian law? Every action has an equal opposite reaction. That hasn't been the case in U.S. politics. The Republicans have been able to do some crazy shit without any kind of equal or opposite reaction from the Democrats, from the left, from social movements. I do hope that this Kavanaugh uh, shit show uh, provokes and emboldens activists on the left to do that. Ryan, do you think, last word, do you think, do you think I'm being uh, overly optimistic? Uh, no, and I also think that if he goes down the way he's going down, um, it kind of ob- obviates a lot of Schumer's irrational fears anyway. Like at this point, how do you hold it against Heidi Heidkamp 
for voting against. So now you have a unified uh, Democratic base from the center to the left, um, you know, ready to take this into November. Well, we could be on the cusp of a rich right-wing white man being held to account. A rarity (laughs) in the US in 2018. Uh, Ryan, Naomi, thanks so much for joining me to chat about this. Who knows how many other women have come forward to accuse him of sexual assault while we've been having this conversation. Great talking with you guys. Thank you both. That's our show. And if you want to come to a live recording of this show and be in the audience, October 10th is the day to mark in your calendars. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, I'll be hosting a panel event on the future of the left and the Democrats in Congress, a midterm special, if you will, with Congressman Ro Khanna, Senator Jeff Merkley, uh, Nina Turner, the president of Our Revolution, and Simone Sanders, former Bernie Sanders press secretary, now CNN political commentator. Uh, If you want to get tickets, go to The Intercept's Facebook page, check on the events section, and you can buy tickets there. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every Thursday. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. 